Revelation chapter 6, let's begin in verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud, with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creature, a voice of the four living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when, I, when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became sackcloth, black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let's pray together. Father, we just acknowledge, Lord, that apart from your Spirit and apart from you illuminating our hearts, Lord, we could never understand your word, especially this passage, Lord. But we know that you have revealed it to bless us, to know a revelation of, of your Son. And so we know there's a blessing associated with studying it, especially publicly together. And so we pray, Lord, for that blessing. We pray that you, we, we would be able to learn everything that you'd have us learn, Lord, and help use these verses to make us more like Christ. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been looking at the throne room in heaven. I've been very interested at seeing just, just even a glimpse of what's going on in that amazing throne room with all its beauty, with all its color, with all its sounds, and of course what makes it heaven, having the Lord there and his throne and these four living creatures that are there that are 
catalysts for worship. They caused the 24 elders with the 24 thrones that are surrounded the th- God's throne to worship. And then last week we saw, um, we saw so many more things than that. It's just like, how can you process it all? But we saw this scroll. We saw this title deed uh, of the earth there. And nobody in all creation was worthy to break the seals of that scroll. There were there seven seals on that scroll. And then we saw the Lord Jesus take the scroll from the Father's hand there because he was worthy to break its seals. And that produced all of heaven to break out in worship of God. And we saw the angels. There was 100 million angels plus worshiping the Lord and the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And then we saw ourselves. You're not, who said that you're not in the Bible? You're in the Bible. We saw ourselves. We saw this, this, this. Well, look back in chapter 5 real quick. Look back in chapter 5, verse 13. It says, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So we saw ourselves, that you're looking at yourself in the future. You're looking at yourself worshiping before the throne. You've already been raptured. You have your new body. You likely have gone through the judgment seat of Christ. You've received your rewards. You've given account for your life. You're there before the throne among all these angels and these 24 elders and the four living creatures, and you're there worshiping God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with a new body that can do that appropriately. Amazing. We got to see that. Now you can turn back to Revelation 6. Today we're going to see the beginning of this seven-year tribulation. We're going to see it begin. And this is when God begins to judge the earth. I've mentioned it before. Seven-year span, the last three and a half of which is called the Great Tribulation. And we're going to see all of that start to happen this morning. And he's going to pour out his wrath. Very, people are going to be very, very deserving of this wrath. We were deserving of that wrath. But we had, now we've had Christ's righteousness put to our account, and now the wrath that he suffered under the Father on that cross on our behalf has been legally applied to our lives so we are pardoned we are forgiven but this world is not going to have that same thing happen in mass there there, this is a christ rejecting world everything that's going on is there's only two issues heaven and hell Uh, the kingdom of god the kingdom of darkness it's not a complicated world it's a very simple world it's there's light and there's darkness and there's a battle for souls that, that we should filter all of what goes on and what we see in the media, what we see in the news. We should filter all of that through that prism because that's how God sees things. And so their rejection of Christ is going to be uh, punished. And they're going to deserve every bit of it. And as we read this, I mentioned this last week, but as we go through all of these things, and it's going to go on for a long time, we're going to see God's wrath being poured out. And there's the temptation from our limited perspective for us to go, that's kind of harsh. That's a little bit too much. But again, we're not God. I don't have to tell you that. I like that bumper sticker. There is two facts in life. There is a God. Number two, you're not him. I like that. 
We're not God. We don't see all the wickedness that goes on in this world. Not just not even just actions, but people's motives and what goes on in their hearts, what they don't actually physically accomplish related to sin, but what they're planning and scheming and lusting after in their hearts. He sees all of that. He sees all the things that we're supposed to do that we don't. Sins of omission. So he sees that all the time, every day. He doesn't sleep. He's watching the whole world, and all of those things are building up, building up building up, and there's going to be a time where he lets all of it go. And I'm so thankful that I'm not going to be here for that. So every single bit of it is appropriate. And we have to remember that it's not one bit too much. It's not one bit too little. It's flawlessly exactly what it's supposed to be. Now we're going to also start to see a pattern in Revelation. I want you to be looking for it. We're going to see a pattern where he pours out his wrath and he does something on the earth And then there's worship or there's some kind of thing that he shows John that is not all about, you know, the wrath that's being poured out on this earth. And it gives and so it's like it gives us he gives us that revelation of his wrath in little doses. So it's like he gives us a little break and he lets us see worship in heaven or he lets us see something else. Then we go back to seeing, you know, so that's kind of a, a pattern that we're that we're going to see. So it's important to know that. The signs of the times that the Lord Jesus laid out in Matthew 24, it's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's called the Olivet Discourse because he was on the Mount of Olives when he gave it. And in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, uh, Jesus laid out what's going to happen in this seven-year tribulation. It's a good thing to be reading as we're going through these passages, to go through Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. It's going to be very helpful for us as we do that. But what he lays out in that all of it discourse corresponds with Revelation, of course. And that helps us know what he's kind of talking about in Revelation. There's a, there's a, a Bible interpretation principle that I laid out at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, one of many, and that one principle is Scripture interprets Scripture. And so that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're to understand Revelation from the context of other Scripture. We've gone to the Old Testament to see what things mean, which is the puzzle pieces for the book of Revelation, but also there's other places where Jesus touched on these things. And so he talked about some very specific things. He talked about there's a, these, these judgments that come to the earth, and first he talked about this a coming spiritual deception. Then he talked about wars and rumors of wars. Then he talked about famines. Then he talked about pestilences, which are diseases. He talked about earthquakes. He talked about upheaval in the realm of nature. And he talked about widespread slaughter of the righteous. And what's interesting is when you compare the order that he reveals those things in Matthew 24, it lines up perfectly with these horses that we're going to see in, in uh, Revelation chapter 6. The order is, is exactly the same. And that's what helps us understand what these horses are. Because Scripture interprets Scripture. We see that these horses are judgments. Now, whether there's a, a real being, a real horse there that he sees that's a spiritual being that goes out and then starts that, you know, it's like a catalyst for all the expression of what happens in the earth is one thing, or it could just be symbolic, but I think he's really seeing something. I think he's something, seeing something in the spirit realm that we can't see. He's seeing something happen there that takes that shape, but then it's when it's, when it's expressed in the earth, it looks like these other things. And so, of course, we can't know exactly for sure, but I believe John is really seeing something when he's looking at these horses that we're, we're going to be looking at. 
Now notice in verse 1, the Lord Jesus opens the first seal. It says, now I saw, this is John speaking, now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals and heard one of the four living creatures saying with a, lo- with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I first want to point out that again, he's referred to as the Lamb. He has all these different designations in the book of Revelation more than any other book. But the one that's far above is expressed more than the others is Lamb because it's all about the Lamb. It's all about his sacrificial death upon that cross. So he says, I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals and one of the four living creatures said something. So there's these four living creatures that we've already been introduced to. They are catalysts for worship, but they also are assisting John in processing this revelation. And each one of these living creatures is going to, is going to uh, help John. Each one. So there's seal one, the first living creature. Seal two, the second living creature, and so forth. We're going to see that pattern. But notice his, his voice is like thunder. I mean, think about thunder. You ever had thunder hit really close? And it's just like, you know, it's like a bomb went off somewhere. It's so loud, it'll make your ears ring. I mean, just think about this voice of this living creature speaking to John. This isn't just for po- poetry purposes. or This is, I mean, he's describing this, how loud it is. It's voice like thunder that says, come and see. Now, this tells us that John wasn't positioned how he was there. He wasn't positioned to be able to see all these different uh, horses like he needed to be situated. So the living creatures tell him to do something. They tell him to come closer and to see. So he had to position himself so he could properly see what, the, what he was, was supposed to see. He wasn't immediately able to do that until he repositioned himself. Then it says, verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So, again, we start these horses, and they're... I'm sure they're very, very impressive. Uh, You may have heard the four horses of the apocalypse. You may have heard that phrase. That's what these are. These are the four horses of the apocalypse. And white horses were always uh, a symbol of power and authority. The, the, The rulers, the military generals had white horses in Rome at that time and so forth. It was a sign of peace and victory. And But this is a counterfeit. This is not... Because some people think that this is talking about the Lord Jesus. But we know that it's not because in Revelation chapter 19, we're told this in verse 11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This can't be Jesus because the Lord Jesus, when he returns, is going to be peace. But as we'll see, these other horses, there's going to be anything but peace following this first white horse that's going uh, down to the earth. And so I believe, and many others believe, that this is talking about the Antichrist. Now, in Scripture, he's mostly referred to as the beast. But that we don't usually refer to him that way, so we'll just refer to him as the Antichrist still. And he's the supreme counterfeiter, Satan is. He's always counterfeiting things. So, of course, he wants to be the Savior of the world. He wants to be the Messiah. He's going to be received as such in the Great Tribulation. And he's going to be shot in the head or a wound in the head. He's going to raise from the dead, so to speak, come back to life. He's trying to counterfeit all this stuff. And so this white horse is a, is a, is a counterfeit. He's going to come as something other than what he really 
is. Now we're told in the verse there that he has a crown. He's going to, that means he has a monarchy. He's a monarch. He's going to rule. He's going to rule this earth. And he's going to make a covenant with Israel. Daniel chapter 9 lays all that out. You can put it in the column and look it up later and study it. Someday when we study Daniel, we'll be able to go through it. But he's going to make a peace contract with Israel. He's going to be this great man of peace. Part of that is that he will allow or facilitate the rebuilding of their temple. And when you go to Israel today, how will you know when Messiah comes? Well, he'll be a man of peace. And he will help us build our temple. They're preparing for that right now. They're building all the things for it. They're ready. In fact, there's, we're told that the abomination that causes desolation... And, which is the catalyst for the great tribulation starting at the three-and-a-half-year mark, is the Antichrist going into the temple, the third temple, and desecrating it. And then the Jews' eyes, their, their, their eyes will be open. And in Matthew 24, he tells them to flee to the mountains and so forth. He, ex- he explains all of that. So he is a ruler. Everybody's going to be impressed with this man. Daniel chapter 7 reveals that ten kings will give authority or power to him and, and they, these kings are going to be overseeing either countries or groups of countries. There's the European Union, which if you study Daniel, you'll see that, that the revived Roman Empire is going to be the empire from which the Antichrist comes. And, and so we have the first Roman Empire, but there's going to be a remnant of that old empire that's going to be that last kingdom that if you study Nebuchadnezzar's dream and how Daniel interpreted it, you'll see that there, there's a big... You know, that mountain comes and destroys and breaks that thing to shreds. And that's talking about the kingdom of God in, in this, on this earth. And so these kings give him authority. I believe there's 26 or 27 nations represented in the European Union right now. And people look at the European Union and they see the euro in trouble and, and, and uh, the conflict within the European Union. And, if, and it's it, the feet of mixed with uh, iron and clay. So there's, it's good, not going to have the same type of unity that the first Roman Empire had. So all that configuration can change. It's just the basis from which that last government will be based. And so they could grow and then divide it up into ten regions, and then these kings are overseeing each of the ten regions and so forth. But they're going to be so impressed with this Antichrist. They're going to give him that power. They're going to give him that authority, and there's going to be that one world government that he's going to oversee. But notice he's given a crown. Notice in the verse it says he was given a crown. He didn't come up with the crown. He didn't make it. It was given to him. And it's a, this is noteworthy because it shows who's really in control. Remember, these, these are the seals that, that Jesus is breaking off this scroll. One of the judgments that he makes on this world is allowing the, the world ruler that they, they want. And he will represent everything that the flesh and rebellion to God represents. And he will want to uh, accentuate that or to support that in people's lives. And so it's the, the Antichrist coming is a sign of God's judgment. And he's on a leash, just like Satan's on a leash. When you read the book of Job, you see that Satan had to come and get permission to interfere with Job's life. And, and so there's lessons in, in, related to that. So these kings love this guy. The world loves this guy. They're impressed with this guy. He's not going to be some wicked-looking monster guy. What's the most deceptive thing that can possibly occur <laughs> related to someone's how they appear? Well, he's a counterfeiter. 
And he comes, Satan comes as an angel of light. This man will be possessed by Satan himself. There are people that are demon-possessed. But possessed by Satan himself? It's pretty heavy. So he's going to be possessed by Satan himself. And everyone will love this guy. This guy will be so charismatic. People will just want to be around him. And we see just the closest we come to that would probably be the Pope where people are kissing his ring and they're, I mean, I've seen so many pictures or videos, whoever the Pope is, where people are basically worshiping him, the very thing that Paul and Silas or Barnabas or whatever were just like pushing people. No, no, we're just men. They don't look to us. We're just men just like you. But other men will take that worship. And, 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 And so that's the closest we can come. Someone that just really, really is appealing and charismatic and good looking and and, and it's going to be so deceptive with his words, and he's going to have this pseudo-wisdom that are just going to make people be in awe of, of how he makes it. How did he come up with that? How did he think of that? There's going to be problems, and I mean, right now, just with our president right now, or any president, there's such complex problems, it's so easy to criticize. You could take one position or another and criticize and, and kind of shoot holes in, a, in an approach because there's no perfect situation. And no leader could really figure those things out. But this guy will have the kind of apparent wisdom where everyone just goes, what just happened? He just did a, 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 he just did a wisdom jiu-jitsu move on the world. <laughs> and, and, and they're tapping out. You know, and, and so he's just going to be amazing that way where they're, they're just so impressed with this guy's wisdom. Now notice also he has a bow there in the verse. He has a bow. So he's going to conquer the world and rule the world, but he's not going to do it by force in the beginning. He doesn't have any arrows that we see in the, in the verse. He has a bow, but no arrows. So he has the threat of military action. He has a threat of for, using force, but he's not going to need it because of his deceptive qualities. He's just going to suck people in. You ever met someone that's so charismatic and so appealing, you just... You just find yourself just wanting to be around them. And I mean, I'm not talking about in a godly way. I'm talking about just someone that just has all those qualities. He's going to have all of that. He, people, he's going to have people eating out of his hand. He's not going to have to even have a military force or factor. Now, later on, he will because he's going to try to enforce it through his, his, his rule through force. But he's not going to need it in, in the beginning. So that's important for us to see. Now, notice Jesus opens the second seal in verses 3 and 4. It says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. So this is not the same living creature. It's a second one there. And he says, come and see. So the vantage point of John for that first horse now is keeping him from seeing what he needs to see for the second horse. So he has to reposition himself. And then it says, another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So this first, this first horse here is fiery red, and I believe that speaks of blood there. And, and so this, this man is going to cause a pseudo-peace in this world, and, but then that peace is going to go away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3 tells us, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. There is such a desire, a huge desire for peace. That's all we ever hear. Peace, peace, peace. 
And, and who can bring it? Who can secure it? People are yielding their sovereignty. Countries are, are yielding their sovereignty for peace. We're doing it individually. We're giving up our personal freedom so that we can be safe from terrorists. So we're willing to be spied on. We're willing to have our stuff be hacked or, or, or the NSA watching everything. You know, we, give, we give up freedoms all the time, unfortunately, for things. And countries are going to do the same thing. The countries in the European Union have had to do it to be a part of the European Union. To have one currency and laws and all, all of those things, they have to give up sovereignty. You can't, you can't have unification like that without giving up freedom, unfortunately. But look at Israel. They're fighting so hard to have peace. That's all Israel wants is peace. And, and people are fighting them. And, and, they, and this, this man is going to, to this, secure this peace contract that, that it, it holds. It's going to have an apparent, you know, it's going to work apparently in the beginning. And they're going to just be amazed at that. So this horse goes out and to take peace from the earth. And it says people will kill one another. And we see that in Matthew 24. And we see him warn of that, you know, mother rising against son and fighting against parent. You know, we, we see in the last days that, that people will not obey their parents. They won't honor their parents and so forth. But just think about when there's been tragedy in this world and you've seen people be who they really are. I think of Katrina. You know, the, the city is just totally just pummeled and people are looting and so forth. And when there's no restraints at all, when there's no possibility that you could be caught, then you see people for who they really are. This is true for us in our private lives. When no one's watching, we get to see who we really are. So it's the same way with this. So this is, it's going to be, people are going to be allowed to do, God isn't causing people to kill people. He isn't causing this whole thing to happen. He's allowing people to do what's already there. The restraint system is being removed there. So people can just do what they want to do towards one another and express their sinful uh, ways without any hindrance. There's going to be murder and violence and looting and rapes and stealing and all of that. People are just going to turn against each other like crazy. And so God's going to take away that restraint and let people be who they really are. And it's going to be a horrible place. Remember, all these things are happening and they're compounding. The effect of them is compounding. You're having to deal with this, then he adds this, then he adds this. The others don't go away. So the picture that we're seeing God paint in his word is that these things are cumulative. They're being added to, added to, added to, added to, added to. And it just, you just think, how in the world are people going to survive? Then Jesus opens the third seal in verses 5 and 6. He says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature, so a different one, say, come and see. So again, he has to reposition himself. So I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. So remember scales are where you weigh things. We don't really see those a lot anymore. It used to have those when they would weigh money because money wasn't based on its face value. It was based on its weight. And, and God talks a lot in the Proverbs and other places that he hates dishonest scales where they would rig it to where it would come out to the person's advantage. So, so this judgment is weighing things out related to how it should, how it should demonstrate its justice. And then verse 6 says, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, 
and do not harm the oil and the wine. So the black horse is this horse of famine. Now remember, Jesus talked about all these things in Matthew 24 in this exact order. So this famine judgment there. And what's important to remember is a denarius is a day's wage. So whatever a day's wage is for a person, that's how much money we're talking about here. And they would make uh, loaves of bread with this wheat. Now we think of these big, huge loaves, you know, a bakery or something where it looks like a big old rock, you know, you break it forth or, or even just a regular loaf of bread. But those days, they didn't make that kind of, those loaves. They were much smaller. You remember the, the, when he fed the, the 5,000 and the 4,000 with loaves and fishes, they were like, the little boy brought them in a, in a lunch pail or whatever, and, and had, they were like little buns. So we're talking something very, very small. So we're looking, this, this quart of wheat here would make sustenance for a person, and if the famine's going to get so bad, it would, take, it would take you all day, your whole day's work. The wages from working all day long to be able to buy that. Now, now just think about this for a minute. Think of Walmart. <laughs> think of Target. Think of Costco. Think of all the racks of breads. There's like 80 brands and all the, you know, do I want sesame seed or not? Do I want nuts in it? No. Do I want raisins in it? Do I, I mean, look at all the choices. Look, I mean, I'm bringing all that up to, to, to remind us of how affluent we are and how many choices we have and it's going to get that bad to where it take a whole day's way just to buy a little tiny bit of wheat to make some bread I mean, we can't even fathom that kind of famine have we really ever even experienced a famine in this country we're in a drought right now in california 150 year drought or whatever that's the closest that we've come i think in this state anyway but we haven't really experienced that kind of famine now, uh, uh, barley was less valuable, so it, you could buy more barley with the day's wage. A lot of times they would feed animals with that and so forth. But then he says, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So it's very, very scarce. If it's so scarce with that grain, just think about something like oil or wine and so forth. So it's like protect it, keep it protected, and it's so very scarce and so forth. So that's something that, I mean, I can't even imagine that kind of... Um, that, that kind of famine, experiencing that. I mean, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You don't know how you're going to feed your family. You don't know how to, you know, supply for their needs and so forth. Again, it's cumulative on top of everything else so far. It's just being added to, added to, added to. Then Jesus breaks the fourth seal in verses 7 and 8. Look with me there. He says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the, the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So he has to reposition himself again. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them. Notice, was given. Again, God's sovereign. They're, get, they're being allowed to do things. So that, that rider in the horse that was given power to uh, over... Um, over the fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, by the beasts of the earth. Now this first, this horse, the first uh, thing we come in contact with, with verse uh, 8, is the, the color of this horse. And pale is really talking about, especially in the original language, is talking about that greenish yellow. 
that you would look at a corpse. You know, we, we make them pretty pretty. Uh, we, 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 you know, for us to look at and so forth, but we're talking without someone dealing with it or making it look better, it's going to look like that. And this whole horse is all about death. And so there's all this catastrophe that comes. Again, this is the same order that he lays out in Matthew 24. And we've seen so much catastrophe where it's almost like we're being conditioned to experience more and more catastrophe. I mean, maybe it's just me, but it seems like we're experiencing more and more catastrophes at a greater pace, at a greater multitude or, or levels all the time. And we're getting, it's, it's like we're getting numb to it. It's just getting, we're just tuned out because we just can't handle it. It overwhelms our hearts to think about. But this is, this is what's going to come. It's going to, this catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe. So he says it's going to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, beasts of the earth. And it's, it, there's only going to, 25% of the earth he has uh, oversight of in terms of death there. Now, just to, for, to give us a little, a little taste or a little understanding of the amount of people we're talking about, imagine South America gone, Central America gone, Canada gone, United States gone, and Europe gone. <laughs> That's 25%. Actually, it's more than that now because of a population increasing. But that's, someone calculated that a few years ago. So just think about all that population gone. And I told you that by the end of the seven-year tribulation, only 25% of the world's population will be left alive. 75% of this world's population is going to die. And, and so what a massive, huge <laughs> judgment. I can't even imagine it. Now, the, this, all this death that we, I just mentioned is primarily from disease. Jesus talked about that, and again, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. So all of this happens through disease. That's what I believe. When he's talking about one will be taken and the other left, personally, I don't believe that's talking about the rapture in Matthew 24. The whole context is the Great Tribulation. I believe that's talking about a dis- diseases that wipe out 50% of certain populations and, and so forth. So it's going to be bad. And, and what's in the news right now? Ebola. Ebola, and they're they're hoping that they can that this thing won't mutate into an airborne disease because right now it's just very close 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 contact or fluids exchanging or whatever. But it's if it turns into airborne, there's going to be so many people that that suffer as a result of it. But someone who studies all these diseases has cited 26 viruses that are in existing in the world right now that are deadly that we have no capacity to curtail. And I believe that's just going to increase. So if you're thinking, well, you know what? We're going to just advance to the point where we're going to get rid of all disease in this world. Nope. Not going to happen. Part of God's judgment in this world is going to be massive, massive disease. It's going to take so many people. And notice he says, death and Hades. Death claims the body. Hades claims the soul. Hades right now is a compartment in the center of the earth, in the heart of the earth. Jesus said that, that he's going to go down to the heart of the earth, but be raised like, just like Jonah. He'll spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's where he went. And Ephesians chapter 4 kind of lays it out a little bit. But the, there was a part of Hades that was called Abraham's bosom. The Old Testament saints were there. Jesus went there and proclaimed himself to be the Messiah with a thief on the cross. He got to go too. Can you imagine that? And he preached to, the, the, to those 
uh, Old Testament saints that he was the Messiah. He emptied out Abraham's bosom, but all that's left now is Hades there. That's not the lake of fire that we're going to see at the end of this book. Uh, Because at the end of the book, at the great white throne judgment, it says Hades gives up its dead. And, and people are resurrected. to They get bodies to be judged at the great white throne judgment. So there's a difference between Hades and the lake of fire. So that's another part of God's judgment uh, there with death there having Hades uh, come as well. Verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as as they were was completed. So when he breaks this seal, you see there, I saw under the altar... Now, that's the first time we've seen that. Altar. Remember, the tabernacle, both the tabernacle and the temple were copies of heaven. God told Moses to measure all that out and do it exactly because it was based on something else that was the real deal up in heaven. And Hebrews talks about it as well. Now, this is interesting here because in the Leviticus, we're told related to the, the, the burnt offering, which was the offering of consecration, it was a will, willing, a willful uh, offering or something that you do in your own volition and so forth. The whole thing would be consumed, symbolizing giving your whole life to God and so forth. With that offering, we're told in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7, and he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. And I believe that's the picture. All these Jews would know exactly what he's talking about related to these people being un- under the altar there. Because they had given everything. They had sacrificed everything on the, on, the, on the earth related to standing against the Antichrist. Remember, these are all people that got saved after the rapture. They didn't, they, there's a lot of people that will get saved. And there's a difference in this distinction between tribulation saints and the church. People get that wrong all the time and it causes lots of problems. The church is gone. But there are tribulation saints and they uh, were m- martyred. Here. And many of many of them are martyred because of they don't take the mark of the beast and they're beheaded and so forth. But there's other ways that that they're persecuted to death and so forth. And so they're interceding and they're 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 asking the Lord, when are you going to avenge our blood? And and He gives them the reason. He give, first of all, He gives them a white robe, and which speaks of righteousness, of course. And and then He says, there's a finite number that, that I'm going to allow this to happen. That number hasn't happened yet, hasn't been completed. So just rest. And, and it's going to happen, and we'll see that uh, happen uh, as we continue. Verse 12. I looked when I opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Can you imagine this? Think about that. Some people say, well, you know, the moon and the sun get, get blocked. And so because of that, it's black and it's red. That could be. But God has no problem. Just We don't have to find a natural 
way that God does this. We always have to find a natural solution. He could just, you know, he spoke and it just happened. He could just say, go black, moon, turn to blood. That's all he has to do. We don't need a natural solution to that. God could do it so many different ways. We have to interpret scripture through the lens of how sovereign and how powerful our God is, not how man thinks of things and so forth. So just think about this sun going black and the moon turning to blood. Jesus talked about it again in the Olivet Discourse and stars of heaven falling to earth. Man, can you imagine the power that would those things when hitting the earth, what it would do to the atmosphere, what it would do to everything, not knowing when you could get hit by something. I mean, I can't even imagine that. And the sky receding as a scroll. So somehow that protective layer and what we see and how light shines and refracts and so forth is going to be interrupted. And who knows what we're going to see when that thing is pulled back. I mean, just think about People are going to go, these things are compounding. Cumulative effect on top of one another. I mean, how much can your heart take? And God talks about these days being shortened (laughs) because we couldn't survive it if we were here on earth and so forth. Man, just it's amazing what the judgment and remember every single bit of it is com- per- perfectly appropriate and not too much or not too little it's exactly what's due this this world verse 15 and the kings of the earth the great men donald trump the commanders no uh, the rich men the commanders the mighty men every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? You know what's interesting? You could miss it if you don't really pay attention or look at it carefully, but did you notice that they knew exactly who was the source of all of this? They knew. People know about God. They, they just want to deny him and suppress him and the knowledge of him in unrighteousness. They know him. They, they know that he is there. No atheist is going to be on that day going, nothing did all this. This is just by chance, you know. They're going to say, no, I know who it is. It's God and it's Jesus that we've been rejecting all this time. They know who is the source of all of this. And they say, who can stand It's not just a figure of speech. They're literally going, who can survive this? How can we survive this? This is too much for us to to handle. Where do I turn? I'm starving. There's things fall from the skies. The sun's going out. There's the, the moon's turned to blood. There's people fighting against each other. I can't trust anybody. There's no law enforcement. Help. What do I do? But they don't repent. You would think you'd see them on their knees. Oh, God, help me. I'm a sinner. I'm beating their breasts and like the Old Testament described and just repenting. They don't do any of it. They wag their heads. They shake their fists. They, they, we're going to see more and more over and over again through this tribulation. They're just hardening their hearts, hardening their hearts, hardening their hearts. Don't ever underestimate the power of our wicked hearts. Even after the millennium where Jesus is ruling and reigning, on this world, there's still a, a remnant of people that want to rebel. And Satan is loosed and, and they're allowed to do this rebellion until they're consumed with fire. Even after all of that, they want to rebel. Don't ever say you're not capable of doing anything. Every single one of us is capable of any sin. 
apart from the Lord, apart from his grace applied to our lives. We need to take heed lest we fall. So in closing, I want to apply a couple things. First of all, I want to, I want to apply that people need to get saved. This could happen at any moment. There's nothing else that has to happen. The rapture could happen right now, and then soon after that, the Antichrist, he'll, Jesus will break that seal, the Antichrist will come, sign that peace contract, and seven-year tribulation starts, and there will be a delusion that they will believe the lie, Thessalonians tells us. And I believe that's talking about the identity of the Antichrist. They're going to be sucked into this guy. It's going to be so powerful. A hundred of the most charismatic people that you have ever seen doesn't come close to the cumulative <laughs> drawing effect of this world leader, that what it'll have over people, the spell. It'll take the spirit of Christ, basically, to, to resist his attraction. And so when people say, well, I'll just, when I see everybody go, when I see the rapture happen, and all you guys, if you're right, then I'll... No, you don't know that. And you don't know that you'll live to that point. If you're here today, you don't know Christ, you don't have one heartbeat more guaranteed to you. So take advantage of salvation while you have it. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. But I think about our relatives and our friends and our people that maybe we may have crossed off our prayer list, made a new prayer list, and they're not on there. Put them back on there. Man, my sisters prayed for me for 10 years to get saved. They could have given up so easily. I gave them plenty of reasons to give up. Don't give up on the people that you know. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your neighbors. This is coming. This is going to happen. You don't want them to be here for that. And if they die today, and, they're, and, and this doesn't even start yet, they're going to go to an eternity without Christ with no second chances. It doesn't all lay on our shoulders, but we have to do our part. So we need to be busy preaching that gospel. I'm the most excited about our new facility because it'll give us a better uh, capacity to preach the gospel and do outreach and to reach this world. I don't care about buildings. We're the ones that make the church what it is, and wherever we go, that's what's going to be good. But man, talk about an opportunity, church. We have a supernatural opportunity. And we can't go, our sides were smaller or whatever. We can't be used. We're already being used, first of all. But there's no limitations on how he could use us. Secondly, if he's sovereign enough over all of this, what is he sovereign over our lives in? We have to trust him. He's in control of our lives, no matter if it doesn't even look like it. And what we're going to see over and over again him be sovereign over all these things that are crazy amazing in this tribulation. And it just keeps speaking to us about the need to get the gospel out, but also to trust him related to his sovereignty in our lives and to trust him that he's big enough to handle whatever problems we have. And he's, and he's just. You see all these things and you go, it's not too much. They deserve all of this. And, 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 and he knows what they can take and he knows what my life can take. And I can trust him to be appropriate with me. If he's appropriate with them... When they're blaspheming him and turning against him, he's going to be appropriate with his sons and daughters. So let that sink into your hearts, and I pray they would sink into mine as well.